Hello and welcome along to the Anxiety Specialist Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Burrows. And I'm Becky Burrows. If you've been struggling with anxiety or know someone who has been, then this podcast is for you. Today, we're going to be covering some more tips, strategies, and insights so you can get the anxiety-free life you deserve. Ready? Let's dive in. Today, I have Angie Barrett on the podcast, and she is an intuitive movement coach, registered nurse, RN, and an advanced trauma-informed our yoga instructor and child abuse survivor who understands the human body and how it works. Angie is the owner and creator of Angie Barrett Movement, coaching people using play and non-traditional movements to release stress, anxiety, depression, and trauma, bringing peace and joy to their lives. Thank you, Angela, for, for coming on our podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So first off, I'd just love for you to share some of your story because you've been through your own journey and it'd be really great for our audience to hear about that. Yeah, absolutely. So like Becky said, I am a child abuse survivor. I started experiencing child abuse when I was very young. Happened, it was friends of my parents, happened at church. So had some religious abuse involved in that as well. I actually had no memory of it until about seven years ago. So complete, pretty much blocked memory from my childhood, except I always had this deep pain inside of me. I've struggled with anxiety for years. I've struggled with depression. I've struggled with an eating disorder. I just knew something hurt inside of me and I never quite knew what it was. When I was about 21, I got married to an abusive partner, ended up Staying married for about eight and a half years. He was not physically abusive, but was very verbally and emotionally abusive. And finally got out of that and did a bunch of therapy, thought that I had healed. And yet I still had this pain inside of me. I've struggled with anxiety and my eating disorder was the way that I typically coped with my anxiety. Not the healthiest way whatsoever. Yeah. And it got to the point, my eating disorder has been bad enough. There's been more than one time where I've almost had to be hospitalized. And yet that was the only way that I could manage both my anxiety and my depression. Yeah. And then about seven years ago, I was dating someone new and we were struggling, having some problems and they started dating someone else and let me know on Facebook that they were now with someone else rather than actually communicate with me. So I can chuckle about it now. I could not for a long time. And that betrayal by my partner unlocked the memories of my child abuse. So I ended up dealing with dueling traumas or two traumas at the same time, both the memories of my child abuse coming out as well as this betrayal by my partner. And so things got really dark for me. My eating disorder was really pretty bad. I was at the point of needing to be hospitalized. I was consuming an awful lot of alcohol because that was the only way that I could self-numb at that point. And so I ended up checking myself into an inpatient psychiatric unit to get some intensive therapy, some intensive help because I knew I was not safe. So I spent a month in the unit. There was a great hospital that had a fantastic trauma PTSD unit not far from where I lived. So I went in there and then when I got out, I started intensive outpatient therapy and have just been on this journey and realized that it's the child abuse, the self-hatred that has been this deep pain that I've had inside of me. So 
that's kind of been my struggle along the way. I have developed this way of moving that became a release and an outlet for me that really substantially helped to heal. So I have been at my lowest point and I'm also now at kind of on the other side where I'm now able to help others. So it's been a journey. Yeah. It sounds like a massive journey and quite a lot of different challenges to work through as part of that. It's interesting you brought up the eating disorder side of things because there's a real control element with wanting when you feel out of control and especially with the child abuse when you're young you don't have that sort of power trying to grab onto something that you can control. Is that your experience with eating disorder? Absolutely. That was the only way that I could control. That was also a way for me to control my anxiety. Mm. I've struggled with depression, clearly, but anxiety is one that's almost more uncomfortable for me. I don't know how to handle it. And so by restricting my food, that gave me even some sense of control. So that would lessen my anxiety. So absolutely control with the pain, with anxiety, with all of it, with just feeling like I have some say in what's happening in my life. Yeah. And it's so great that you've found a healthier way to get well and to work through that. So I'd love to hear about what you're doing now to help other people and what that looks like in terms of play and movement. Yeah. So I love talking about this and you guys are going to tell I have a lot of energy. So anxiety is definitely for those of us who have a lot of energy, we get a lot of energy trapped in our bodies. But so what I do now So I call myself an intuitive movement coach. I teach people how to use play and movement to learn what their body's trying to tell them so that we're not piling trauma on top of things. We're not stuffing things down in order for things to blow up. So when the easiest way to understand it is to, so I teach people how to use the cues of their nervous system. So it really comes back into the primal what's happening outside of our mind, but what is our body trying to tell us? Because for most of us, we don't connect to our body. We don't want to feel connected. We don't want to feel those sensations. And so our brain takes over and starts racing. Yeah. So play, play comes in because all mammals, humans included, we're born with our brains pre-wired for play. So we come yeah. out born knowing how to play. So think of how kids learn kids play. That's how they navigate their environments. And so as we grow up, we still have that wiring in our brain. We just as grownups don't use it very often. (laughs) Right? Like when's the last time that you just twirled in circles just to make yourself dizzy or roll down a hill or, you know, whatever it was, do something just for the pure joy of what it was. So play for grownups, it becomes competitive. It becomes not that just pure joy. And yet the wiring in our brain is for this play element. And so doing playful movements helps to release this buildup of energy. So I was starting to say the easiest way to understand what's happening in our nervous systems. Now I'm going to go a little scientific on you, but don't worry. I This is like my child brain needs it explained in like child way. So this is what makes (laughs) to me. Awesome. So this is called the hand-brain model, and it was developed by a psychologist by the name of Dr. Dan Siegel. And so the other thing that this does is this, for anybody struggling with any mental health issues, just so you know, this is part of our nervous system. Mental health, you know, anxiety, depression, those feelings are all normal because they're a part of our body's way of trying to protect us. So the hand-brain model, 
you can feel free to do this with me. You can watch if you're watching yeah. the video. So it's folding your thumb into the center of your palm and then wrapping the fingers on top. And then if you did both of them, the two halves together would represent the two halves of our brain. We have two sides to our brain. The right side of our brain controls the left side of our body. The left side of our brain controls the right side of our body. So split it open because I have to talk with my hands. So imagining one half, the top part, the fingers on top of the thumb. This is the rational thinking part of our brain. This is called the cortex. This is where we form our connections. We're in our intellectual brain. We're thinking through things. And just as a side note, this doesn't really fully form until we're about age 25. So up until 25, this is really forming. So just know, after age 25, we can still form these connections, but it takes a lot more work. Mm -hmm. But play is part of what helps to form those connections. So then if you flip the fingers up, the folded in thumb and the center part of the wrist is the center part of the brain. This is called the limbic system. This is where our fight or flight center is, our fear center, our emotional center. So this is the part that gets activated when we sense any sort of danger. And I mean, danger like an actual tiger coming at you or danger as in a memory of something, because the memory center is also really close to where this limbic system is. And when we go into our fight or flight, our body's doing things to protect us. It's actually building energy. It's releasing hormones. It is getting us ready to run or to fight. And so that's where anxiety, irritability, anger, all that emotional itchiness comes in when we're in our fight or flight. Yeah. And our bodies pick up way more sensations than our brain can process. So we might be in here and not actually even know why we're activated into this and we're no longer in the rational thinking part of our brain. Anxiety, irritability, anger, a lot of that comes from right here in the fight or flight center. But the other thing that's happening is our body is producing energy. So it's not just that we feel these things like our body is releasing adrenaline. It's releasing our stress hormones. So we're actually getting ready to to run. So what happens is if we don't release this or if the threat keeps coming, now just know like low grade stress that just doesn't go away. So like worries about money, jobs, things like that can activate into this as well. So when we get overwhelmed and this is no longer working, we move down here into our brainstem, which is the part of the brain that comes out through the neck. And this is where we go into freeze or shutdown mode. This is, have you ever seen like a goat that gets startled and they just fall over? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we as humans are similar, but we're a little more sophisticated. Usually our brain will come in, shut down, or we numb ourselves with food or binge watching Netflix. That's when I do when I go into freeze mode. And so a lot of times we'll bypass this system and try and escape so that we don't have to feel this. However, in order to healthy, like the healthiest way to heal is to move from freeze back through fight or flight to release that energy in order to bring our rational thinking brain back online. Most of us don't want to do that because that's uncomfortable. That means we have to feel those sensations of the anxiety, the fast heart rate, the fear, the whatever it is right here. And so, but we have to do that in order to bring our thinking brain back online. Otherwise we just get this buildup of energy and then something little is going to happen. We're going to flip our lid and we're going to lose, you know, have you ever just kind of lost your mind over something (laughs) 
you're like, what was that about? Yeah, um, exactly. And that, that buildup of that energy. And so if we can release it along the way, then we don't get those flipping of our lids to where we're overreacting to something. That's really interesting with the freeze. And I find, especially um, being a person who's experienced trauma myself, going into that freeze, definitely when I'm kind of have been really triggered with trauma, that can be area to, and it is that complete shutdown. And to get out of it, moving, I've got to move. And I found sometimes when I was so shut down, I was actually almost completely frozen, couldn't move at all. Sometimes it was just moving the tips of my fingers just to start with and slowly like getting out of it that way. But it's interesting what you're saying about moving through those, out of that freeze, that shutdown into the fight flight and having some form of outward movement which, yeah. yeah, this is something I remember working through with my trauma work was yeah. the importance of movement to get it out of your body. But when you're feeling afraid, especially a trauma response, moving and being loud and getting it out, it feels dangerous. It feels Absolutely. scary. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, our body actually, when we go into freeze, is releasing hormones and chemicals to numb us, to intentionally numb us right. because going back to our primal animalistic nervous systems, this is where we've given up and either we are convinced that the animal is going to kill us or we're holding so still so that they don't see us. Like think of a T, you know, they're walking by and either if you're going to get eaten by a T-Rex or you want to maybe try and hide, like it really is, we can't move. We're frozen. And so the example that I give, so this is where play comes into it. I like to explain understanding the nervous system by playing the game red light, green light. And so green light, when you say or think green light, run, kick, punch, do whatever you would do as if you were trying to get away, fight or flight. And then when you say red light or think red light, freeze in place. And then you notice that turning energy is still happening as you're frozen, but you're not moving. And so that moving back and forth between red light and green light really helps to explain what it's like to go through fight, flight, freeze, because we go back and forth between these all the time. And then that's a way to release some of that fight, flight energy to help bring the brain back online. It's really great to be able to explain this side of things, because I don't know about you, but just knowing more about it and understanding more about what's going on with anxiety, it takes the edge off because it's not this, it's that whole oh no, I've lost my mind, like I've gone crazy, like I've lost control. When you understand that it's all part of how the brain works in terms of threat response. Yeah, it takes that bit off the anxiety and reduces it down a bit because you're not having that extra anxiety, that secondary emotion about what the heck is going on, something's terribly wrong. It's like, no, this is working how it should. It's just we need to work through this so that we're out of this moment. Yeah. It also helps to destigmatize it, to know that that is just your body it's actually trying to protect you. So rather than fighting against it, that's what I did for so long with my eating disorder, especially is I was trying to fight against it. Whereas when I took the time and was able to learn what it was trying to tell me, I was able to release that because like, it's a protective mechanism. Understanding that does help make it so that you don't feel like you're crazy. That's how your body's supposed to be working. It's doing what it's supposed to, you know? It's like going, oh no, the river's flowing block the river, block, stop the water from coming. And it's like, oh, actually, if I just move with it and flow with it and, you know, go through the process to come out the other side, then I can move past this moment of what feels like the rapids. And yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. I, and I, so that's why I explain the flipping your lid, the handbrain model, because first of all, I'm a visual person, but mm. so like understanding how it's working really does help take some of that element of, oh my gosh, I'm crazy away from it. Cause we're not like anxiety doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Depression doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Anger doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It's your body trying to protect you from something that you perceive as a threat, whether you're consciously aware of what it is or not. And it's that conscious awareness that's the hard part if you don't have the conscious awareness of what is going on. And that must have been such a challenge when for so long you hadn't had none of that conscious awareness and then for a difficult situation to kick it off and be like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. But I guess once you had that, did it help? Once you knew that was what it would help with moving through it to understand where it was coming from. Once I was able to accept it, I had a hard time actually really believing my memories because I mean, that couldn't have happened. I'm 40 years old. Like now these memories are just now coming out. And yet there was an element of relief and peace because it made sense why I hurt so bad, even though I had a hard time really believing it. It did bring an element of relief because I didn't just feel like I was crazy or there was something wrong with me. There really was something that had happened. It wasn't because I was weak. You know, all the stories that I told myself for so many years about why I hurt so bad. It was a journey. Make no mistake. It's really been one of the hardest things I've ever done. And it did still bring relief knowing that that's what it was. Yeah. And that's what you were saying about being weak and those messages we have about ourselves. Trauma, part of the problem with trauma is. It's the hard experience, but it's then the hard beliefs we have, the negative beliefs we have about ourselves and our safety and our functioning and our capabilities that those sort of beliefs are then those things are the things we need to be able to shift and change so that we can live well. And they can be the really huge impact, even if not knowing the situation they come from, but still having those beliefs about yourself from that experience. And that's one of the things I do when I work with people. And this is sort of where the movement that I do developed. It got to a point in my trauma therapy, I didn't want to know anymore. I was okay with everything. I mean, not okay, make no mistake, but I accepted that what I was remembering had happened. And I just didn't want to know anymore. I just didn't want to hurt. And so when I work with clients, when we do one-on-one private sessions, we'll work to unpack what some of those negative beliefs are and then do play and movement around it to release that emotional angst that comes with trying to change those negative beliefs because they are so ingrained in us. For most of us, like for me, I'm weak. That's one of mine. When I first started trying to change that, I couldn't even come anywhere near that. And yet when I would use play and movement, and I see this in my clients when I work with them, as we use play and movement, it creates some space so that there's not so much of that emotional heaviness and it gets easier to start to think, oh, no, wait, no, no, I'm not weak. Bad things happen to me or I'm not weak. Those things were out of my control. Mm-hmm. So it creates that space to release some of that, that absolute resistance to, to changing those beliefs. And you don't even have to know why, like that does not matter. If something comes up, great, we'll work through it. I'm not a therapist. I might actually tell you to see a therapist if there are specific things that come up. I'm just more working to help people learn how their nervous system is engaging or how they're engaging with their nervous system to release that negative belief. Because for a lot of us, maybe you don't want to go know why you believe that about yourself. 
totally fine. I get that. I don't want to know why I believe a lot of the things about myself anymore, just because it was so traumatizing. Mm. It's interesting. What one of the things you said previously about how we're disconnected from our bodies, and I think we see ourselves so, especially in the West, very much in our heads, in our thinking minds. We are our thoughts and that side of things, and can be this real disconnect from the body. Also with trauma, I imagine there's, and know myself, there's more of a disconnection from the body because the body can feel really unsafe. And these experiences within the body, because we're so used to the rash, like trying to explain the world through the rational side, that when our body reacts in a way that doesn't feel rational, we feel really confused, like there's something, we're going crazy that our body is responding in that way. And so I'd love to hear how you can, connect more between, can get more into your body and reestablish, I guess, that connection with your body? Yeah. Great question. So I say that even people who haven't experienced trauma with a big T like child abuse or medical procedures, this is even true for people who just everyday life. Think of when we're stressed or we have multiple things that we're trying to do, we multitask or society tells us that we're not supposed to have emotions. So we just multitasking is a big one that I found working with clients that if you feel things, you can't multitask, you can't do as many things as you want. So even just to be productive, which is how particularly in our Western society, we define value is how productive you are. And I put value in quotes for those of you that are listening, but we define our value as how productive we are. So we have to check out from what's happening in our body. And so one of the first things or the best things to do is to find a simple movement that brings you out of your head into your body. And it doesn't even have to be anything crazy. So one of my favorite ones to do is to even just do a side to side sway. And Mm -hmm. so it's just checking in movements that are rhythmic and repetitive actually settle our nervous systems down. So think of how, like when a baby's crying, what do we do for the baby? Uh We rock it, we bounce it. So maybe a bounce, if you're someone like me who has a lot of energy, a little bounce as you go side to side might help. And so side to side sway. And as you do that, start to notice maybe what happens with your shoulders. Yeah. I mean, this is something that you can do for a minute out of, you know, every couple of hours and then maybe explore going front to back. And so as you do notice the difference in your body, for me, front to back is more uncomfortable. So my shoulders start to hunch up, my belly starts to clench. And then when I go back to side to side, my shoulders drop. However, right. for some of my clients, that front to back is more soothing and side to side is more uncomfortable. So it's just taking a moment, shutting your brain off and bringing that awareness back to your body that it doesn't even have to be anything uncomfortable. And you can come back to something that's soothing. Another thing I recommend a lot is wiggle your toes. And if you can take your shoes and socks off and feel whatever sensations are under your feet. And to even think through what words would you describe? So my feet are on a hardwood floor right now. So I feel a little bit of grainy texture. I feel hard. It feels somewhat smooth. You know, like what words would you use to describe it? What's under your feet? And so bringing your awareness to your feet Most often we check out of our legs more than even our upper bodies. But if your feet, you don't have sensations in your feet, you know, if you have medical conditions or you just really are checked out from your body and don't feel your feet, maybe try your hands. What does your shirt feel like under your hands versus what does your skin feel like? So it's finding the difference in textures and bringing awareness to what it is right then. And then you can come back to the rest of your 
you know, your mind swirling energy type stuff, but some sort of sensory activity to bring you into your body, side to side sway. One of my favorite ones is actually to tap. And so noticing as you tap down through your legs, do you even feel your legs? And maybe you don't, and that's okay. But the more you tap, does that bring that awareness? And so it's tapping into your senses in order to bring that awareness into your body, even if it's a minute or two or 30 seconds or five seconds, because it's uncomfortable, just coming into your body for a minute and then coming out, you're in control, giving yourself permission to be in control of that. What's interesting about this, you're being very mindful of the present moment and coming into your body. It's interesting as you're talking that I'm going, okay, so it's mindfulness and it's really in the present. And so you're not in those future thoughts or past thoughts, you know, and sort of anxious predictions because the anxiety is very much in the prediction, the negative future. Very rarely, if you come right into the moment, are you in physical danger or imminent danger right at this very, very moment? But then I was like, actually, one of the interesting things about body is your body is only ever in the present. Mm-hmm. Your physical body is only here right now. It's not there in the future predictions. It's not in the past. It's physically right here in the present. And so by connecting with your body, you are connecting with the present, the, the right now, the moment. I don't know if that's just, but for me, it was just like a mind-blowing moment. It's like, oh, my body's only here. I don't know if for other people, they're like, of course it is, Becky. But I think because so much of our our thinking brain and our, our anxious brain is not right here, it's not often a place where our body is not. And so to come back to our body is very much a grounding experience. It is. Yes, grounding. Some people, it's interesting, they get really resistant to terms like mindfulness. They yeah. think it's like yoga woo-woo type things. And I get that. So absolutely. I like to call it sensory because it is, not only is it bringing you into the present moment, um, for a lot of us, our anxiety comes from experiences that we've had as a child in our past where we felt small or we weren't in control. And so by things like tapping or wiggling your toes, finding what the definitions of your grown-up body are, it's also a way to say, oh, no, wait, I do have you know, control. I am a grown-up. For me, that was a big one is learning, oh no, my body is a grown-up body. I don't have to be quite so worried because I can handle things in a way that were different than when I was a child. So it's like you were saying, the body's in the moment and it takes you out of the childhood past or whatever past it was that's creating that anxiety for you now and puts you into your body the way it is right now so you can go forward in the future and hopefully don't have as much anxiety. Yeah. To to separate from the past and the future to come into what your grown up sense is right this physical moment. That grown up sense is really interesting. One of the things that I have experienced and, and see with anxiety is, especially with trauma, is when that trauma gets activated, it almost sends you back to the stage you were at when it happened. And so if you're quite small, you feel like you're a small child again in terms of the way you think and especially how capable you feel. Is that your experience with that? Absolutely. That's both my personal experience. And I have found that almost a hundred percent of the time with my clients, when we go back to those negative beliefs, those are typically formed when we're children. And so when something does activate into say for me, my example is I'm weak. So when I get activated into I'm weak, 
I feel very small. And so by actually touching my grown up body or by doing something that brings me into the grown up sensation, I'm like, oh, no, wait, wait, I'm not that little anymore. I can handle things differently now. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really cool. And it's a great way, interesting way we're using movement to bring yourself back to the present and to reestablish that adult capable, stronger, independent self yeah. from being thrown back to that child self. Yeah. And the soothing movements like the side to side or the front to back sway, that's what's soothing to children. So, you know, a lot of people who have autism or are neurodivergent, self-stimming or the side to side sway is very soothing to our nervous systems. And that works for us that are neurotypical because it's the same nervous system. We just, so coming back when we're in that free state. Sometimes when we're in really heightened overwhelm or like anxiety overwhelm, doing movements that are bigger to release the energy. Mm -hmm. So like green light, red light, green light, you know, so that you can run and stomp in place. Or one of my favorite ones I like to call octopus on roller skates. (laughs) You're an octopus. You have eight arms and legs. And each one has no bones, but with shoes with wheels on it. How would your body move? Like you would move all (laughs) wiggly and silly. And it's so fun, by the way, try it. And that's a way that releases that fight or flight energy, that epinephrine, that adrenaline, that your muscles are getting trying to ready to run or to fight, but in a way that then makes you laugh. So it doesn't Mm. feel so heavy. So movement can both settle you down as well as release that by doing something big, something active can help to release that energy so that when you come back to that side to side sway, that emotional itchiness isn't there. So movement does it both ways. So it's like a releasing a pressure valve so that it doesn't just keep building up. 100%. That's actually exactly how I describe it. So yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you so much for sharing about the side of things. It's really helpful to think more about the body and about movement and how that can help with anxiety and especially trauma. And I find, I like you saying, you know, the big T traumas that happen, but I believe we all experience trauma to some extent that speaks into how we see ourselves and being able to release that. And another way of releasing that through, through movement is it's great to hear more about that. So if people are listening to this and they're like, Oh, I'd really like to work with Angie. How can they do that? What's the best ways of getting in contact with you? Yeah, my website is typically the best way, angiebarrettmovement.com. And just as a side note, I spell my last name B-E-R-R-E-T-T. So spell it a little bit differently. And that has links to all of my social medias. I do post on Instagram a lot of these movements that I talk about. So if you want to try them at home, I also have, if you want to sign up, I have a free less than five minute movement sequence when you feel like you're going to flip your lid and lose your cool. So you're, so my, my website is the best way to get a hold of me, angiebarrettmovement.com. Fantastic. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise with our audience. We really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it, Becky. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Anxiety Specialist Podcast. That's it for this week's episode. If you found this episode helpful, make sure to click the follow button and please do share this with your family and friends. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. That's at Anxiety Specialists. And if you're interested to learn how you can live an anxiety-free life, you can get our epic anxiety reducer guide absolutely free so you can get started right away on getting your anxiety back down. Just grab the link in the show notes. Feel free to message us and let us know what you'd like to learn next. 
I am your host, Michael Burrows. And I'm Becky Burrows. And we're going to be back next week with more tips, strategies, and insights so you can get the anxiety-free life you deserve.